Thank you, Tim. Appreciate that. Thank you, Ms. Lois. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. This evening. By the way, just as an update, as you're turning your uh, to your place there in the book of James, we got our new sound system. Uh, it is installed. We still have a few pieces we're waiting on. Brother Darren was here last night. He did it all himself, and uh, we know we got it in, and uh, praise the Lord for that. Looking forward to uh, being able to make use of some things we could not before. And uh, James chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 6 through 17 tonight. And I love the title this evening, Unlimited Stories of Grace. You know, the fact is we want to box God in. And we want to quantify the goodness of God even. But we can't do that. We can't quantify God's goodness. Just as we can't quantify God's love. John 3.16, for God so loved. What kind of love? He so loved. We, we, can't, we can't put an amount on it. We can't. Uh, it's as the Lord told Abraham, he said, I'll make of thee a great nation. He said, if man could number all the sands on the sea, then they could number uh, the greatness I'm going to make you. And even that has a number, but God's goodness doesn't. God's grace doesn't. And we'll look here together. James 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace. By the way, that phrase right there is the theme. He giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another. Brethren, he that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then suddenly vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Let's pray together. Lord, would you... Be with us this evening, Lord. Lord, as we learn tonight very plainly that there is more than an adequate supply of glorious truth and grace for us as believers. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us. Lord, often we get discouraged. Often we get weary. Often we doubt. But Lord, tonight I pray that as we come to the source of truth, as we come to your holy book, the Word of God, Lord, that you would 
lift us, encourage us, challenge us. Lord, would you light a fire inside of us? Lord, as you did for Jeremiah, that your word would be a fire in our bones. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Lord, help me tonight, Lord, to teach you right your truth. May you be glorified in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. He gives us more grace. More grace. How wonderful that that grace is abundant. How many of you remember maybe when you were younger, maybe you were going to have a meal, and then somebody stopped over to eat that you weren't expecting, your mom, your mom wasn't expecting to feed, and you were told, hey, don't take very much. We don't have much food. We've got to spread it out. You ever been there? I've been there. And uh, you, you can't quite have what you want, and uh, you've got to kind of hold back a little bit because there's not quite enough to go around. I love the fact that the grace of God is more than enough. It's I can have seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths, and uh, I, I have an adequate supply. Now, as we think about three things about God giving grace, uh, just three things as a, a bit of a foundational truth before we get into the meat of the message tonight. The giver of grace is God. He's the giver. We're not the giver of grace. Now, we're to have grace one with another, but the ultimate giver of grace is God. And what a wonderful giver he is. Hold your place here and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 as we think about God giving grace. As we look in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see in verse 17, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Notice that this continues on. Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. What a wonderful giver he is. So God is the giver of grace. Now, what he gives is grace. And this is the grace is the unmerited favor of God. God's riches at Christ's expense, if you will, uh, to those who are guilty. Brother Krim is guilty, his wife told me. Uh, no, he, he's guilty before God as a sinner. And by the way, so are you. And yet, although he's guilty and I'm guilty, we're all guilty, God gives to the guilty grace. That's a, that's a powerful thing. It, it's God's blessing given to those who don't deserve the blessing. Now, there, there's four kinds of grace. There's saving grace, and praise God for that. For by grace are you saved through faith. There's sanctifying grace. We see that if you want to write down the reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. There's sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. How many of you have ever tried to use a hula hoop? Ever done that? Mark, you're pretty good at a hula hoop. Not highly trained or anything. You're not like a professional. You didn't like compete in the for the Olympics from the Philippines. No, uh, you know you get a hula hoop and you. I'm not. I promise I'm not going to pretend to do a hula hoop tonight because if I did, the next Elvis movie they would hire me to do it. And I don't want to do it. I got to grow the hair. But uh, you know you got to get that thing going around and around, and you got to sustain it. 
Now, I, I have enough weight in the middle. Josiah, I bet you and I, we could do some hula hoop. We could probably compete competitively. But you got to keep, you got to sustain it. You got to keep it going. It's not just, and it falls to the ground. You ever seen that before? You give it to a kid. Why doesn't it stay up? You, you have to sustain it. It has to be kept up. You have to keep that motion going. God's grace not only saves us and their sanctifying grace, but I praise God for His sustaining grace. He keeps me. He keeps you. He keeps us where we ought to be. We have serving grace. Look at Hebrews 11, or Hebrews chapter 12. Let's turn there. You're very close there already in James. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 28. Back just a couple pages from our text. Hebrews 12, verse 28, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now here's what we want. We want God to serve us. We want to be served. We want to receive the service. But can I tell you, part of God giving you grace and giving me grace is that we can have the grace to serve Him and to serve others as we serve Him. I said, God's the giver. What He gives is grace, and that grace is God's unmerited favor. Number three, that grace is always available, and it's adequate, and it's ours for the taking. It's just there. It's there available for us. You know, when we receive grace, basically God says, take all you want. It's right here. All you, all you need. Just, just keep coming and taking of that grace. We see that in James chapter 4 in our text in verse 16 to 7, 17. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth not to him that is sin. There's a pattern here of victorious living. Of the kind the Lord wants us to live. It is impossible, Christian, get this figured out right now. It is impossible to live for the Lord in your strength. You can't do it. You cannot do it. Absolutely cannot do it. You can't live for the Lord in your own strength. But He gives us grace. He gives you grace. He gives me grace. He gives me that unmerited favor that I need. He enables us. We see that in Exodus. We won't take time to look tonight, but Exodus 18, verse 23, if you want to write the reference down for later, He enables us by His grace. I want to give you just some thoughts tonight of how we can experience, how we can experience God's grace day by day and learn how God's grace is sufficient. Number one, Get down off your pedestal. Get down off your pedestal. Whether you put yourself there or somebody else put you there. Look, if you will, at verse 6 verse six there in our text, chapter 4 of James. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud. The proud. Look at verse 9. Be afflicted, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and joy to heaviness. Look at verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. If I'm going to please God, Christian, 
I've got to get down off my pedestal and stop thinking that I am something. Stop thinking that I am important, that I have something, I have so, such great worth. Now, I am so wor worthwhile that God said, I'll die for you. But it was his, it's his goodness in me, not anything that I have. My, my great salvation, so great salvation that I have, not one drop, not even one part per million is me or my goodness or my works. Absolutely none of it. It's all him. And when I lift myself up, when I elevate myself, when I get on that pedestal, and by the way, sometimes we, others put us there. Sometimes there are people that uh, they pat you on the back so much that eventually you think, oh, yeah, I must belong lifted up. I, I don't listen to your uh, praise. <laughs> uh, ignore criticism and, and don't really listen to praise too much because it, it puts you in your mind where you ought not be. We need to be in that place where the Lord wants us to be humbled before a holy God. As we look in the book of Matthew, I'll read a verse for you quickly. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We, we see that thought in James. In verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called the children of God. We see back in our text there in verse 9 of James 4, be afflicted and mourn. By nature... Our flesh is proud. How many have ever ever eaten a grouse before? The rest of you, poor, poor, sad, helpless people, you don't know what heaven's like. Am I telling the truth, Brother Vern? Delicious. Every once in a while, you're, you'll see a grouse out in the bush. There might, by the way, if grouse were as big as moose, I would never hunt any other animal. I would only hunt grouse. They're delicious. I mean, delicious, delicious. And you'll see the, the male grouse every once in a while. And you'll see him, and all of a sudden, <laughs> he puffs his feathers out. He's dragging his wings on the ground, trying to look all impressive. Fellas, I think, I think the Lord played a trick on us. Brother Bonnie, in the bird world, when you're trying to impress a female, you make yourself look fat. How come we can't be birds? But anyway, he, he puffs up. He gets all stretched out and tries to look as proud. You, you've heard the phrase proud as a peacock? Because the male peacock is the beautiful peacock. It's the one that displays and fans and shows forth the glory. Christian, so often we become proud. And we puff up. And we display and God doesn't want us to be displaying. Rather, that's a paradox for a Christian. He wants to give grace to the humble. Not to those that are lifted up and lifting themselves up. God calls us to have, by the way, a, a humble spirit. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, we won't turn there tonight. But God wants you and me as believers to have a humble spirit. Paul, Paul had to go down... <laughs> In his spirit had to be humbled. And we see that in uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, Ephesians, 1 Timothy. We see that God would take Paul and God would humble him as he used him more greatly. 
The Bible says that Paul besought the Lord to remove the thorn of his flesh, and God said, no, I don't want you to be lifted up. Christian, we need to be humbled. We need to come down off our pedestal, realize what we are. Uh, we need to see, as the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, likewise ye younger submit yourselves to the elder, yea, all of you subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. That sure sounds familiar, doesn't it? In verse 6, same passage, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he, Christian, do not miss that statement, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. Don't exalt yourself. Don't lift yourself up. Number one tonight, if we're going to honor the Lord and the grace that God wants to give us, number one, come down off of your pedestal. Number two, put yourself in God's hands. Put yourself in God's hands. In our text in verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. I rode Brother Dan Crumball's horse several years ago. I, I was out there and Dan had just come back with riding Duchess, beautiful horse. And he said, Pastor, he said, do you want to ride Duchess? I said, sure. I love horses. I never had a horse. I, I have a little bit of uh, uh, trauma, Miss Lois, childhood trauma. I, I, think that's, I think that's what you call it. I found out my dad told me that they almost bought me a horse one year for Christmas. Why do you have to tell me that? I never had a horse. Found out it brought me trauma in my life. I found that out about five years ago. But... I never had a horse, but I love horses. I enjoy horses. I love animals. And uh, I got up on, on Duchess, and I went across the road in the field, and I was riding her, and I enjoy riding. And I went to pull the traces a bit to, uh, to get her over uh, to turn by the edge of the, the field, and we're going to turn around. And, and when I grabbed the rein and pulled a little bit to the right, she pulled her head, and she fought me. And I hit her a little bit with my heel and pulled again, and she fought me again. And then she let me reenact a scene from my favorite show when I was a kid. How many of you remember the Lone Ranger? I loved the Lone Ranger when I was a kid. Hi-ho! So I loved the Lone Ranger. And I had the, I had the Lone Ranger action figure. Uh, man, he was, he was cool. Uh, but she reared up like silver. And I barely stayed on. And I came, went all the way up, and I came down, and finally I, I gave her her head. And when I gave her her head, she was fine. She calmed down. We went back, and I told Dan about it. He said, oh, Pastor, I should have told you. He said, when I was riding her a minute ago, she got scared of the tree line. She said she's, she got real scared of something. That's, that's why you had trouble. I tried to turn her to the tree line. Uh, I tried to get her to go where I wanted her to go. But she had a problem. She didn't want to go that way. She didn't want to yield. And Christian, a lot of times we have a problem because we don't want to put ourselves in God's hands. We don't want to submit to the leading of the Holy God. We want to say, no, God, <laughs> not that way. 
We want to tell God where we're going and say, okay, God, here's my plans. Give me a stamp and we'll go. But we need to take our life and place our life in his hands. We come down off our, off our high horse, off our pedestal, humble ourselves, and then we place ourselves in the hands of God. The Bible speaks of that in Romans 6, 13, offering ourselves to God. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We're to be yielded. We're to put ourselves in his hand uh, and obey what God says. Uh, he gives more grace. Christian, let me help you with something. There is nobody else that is better leading your life than God. You ever get on an airplane and go through some turbulence? I don't mind turbulence. It doesn't bother me. If you're afraid of flying, that's bad. It doesn't bother me at all. It might wake me up for a few seconds. But I've never one time said as I was flying an airplane, Brother Gerald, I've never said, I wish I was flying this plane. You know why? I've never flown an airplane. And Brother Bonnie, I think I could. I think I could do it. I played enough video games when I was a kid. I might be able to get it off the ground. Probably I could get it back on the ground too, Jim, but it would be really bad once we got there. But I, I don't know how to fly an airplane. I can drive and run a lot of equipment, but an airplane isn't one of them. So when I'm up in the air, I don't ever think, oh, I'm so nervous, I wish I was controlling the airplane. But I have ridden with some people in a vehicle that I've said, hey, I wish I was driving. I remember one time going soul winning, Brother Mike. Brother Mike's not here tonight. Be praying, by the way, for Miss Jean, and I think she's still sick. Brother Mike and I went soul winning one night together, and it's funny, we, the Very Mart up here on, the, on 95th Street, Very Mart, just two blocks away, I remember we left the old building, and I got in the car with Brother Mike, and I rode with Brother Mike over here. We parked by the Verimart. We went soul winning on this, on this street, on 95th Street. This was years ago. As we're all soul winning, I said to Brother Mike, I said, Brother Mike, would it be okay if I drove your car back to the church? And uh, now Brother Mike isn't a bad driver. I love Brother Mike. And it was probably because I was with him, but he was so nervous, Brother Eric. He got in, and he was shaking. And I thought, man, I, let me drive. I'll drive. Uh, I think he was nervous to drive with me in the car. Uh, and I drove all the way back not far away. But oftentimes we get nervous because we don't trust the Lord when he's the best person that we can place our life in. How do we receive more grace? By placing, putting yourself in God's hands. Number three, look at verse 7. Submit your the, yourselves, therefore, to God. What's the next one? Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Number three, stand up to the devil. Now, I'm not saying tonight fight the devil. I'm not saying you conquer the devil. I'm saying resist. The Bible says resist. That's standing up to. Stand up to the devil. First Peter Chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, tells us that the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so often we just, we yield. We just submit to the devil. Okay, <laughs> I guess I'll do what you want, devil. 
The Bible says resist. Whenever Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he didn't say, okay. No, he resisted. As a pattern for you and I in this matter of resisting, we need to resist the devil. Why? Because if I, if I go with the devil, I'm going opposite of what God wants. I can guarantee you whatever area the devil tempts you in or wants to lead you, it is never going to be a direction God wants you to go. Ever. The two paths don't go together. They are diametrically opposite. And if I'm going to put myself in the hands of God, I've got to resist the devil. I've got to stand up against the devil. Uh, I must resist. Uh, I say, Pastor, how can I do that? God gives grace. God gives grace. Is God powerful, yes or no? Is he more powerful than the devil? Sure he is. Yeah, but, but you don't understand. No, he's more powerful than the devil. I can trust him. I can place myself in his hands. I can resist the devil. Number four, verse eight again. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Number four tonight, clean up your life inwardly and outwardly. I'm going to tell you a story, something I did last night. The only reason I'm going to tell it is because Darren's going to tell it anyway because he was here to witness it. I dropped a wireless microphone receiver, the receiver. Well, I didn't drop it. Really, I baptized it. Uh, I dropped it in the baptistry. Now, it wasn't plugged in, praise the Lord. Uh, there was, it was just the receiver itself. There was, no, there was no XLR cable plugged into it. There was no power cable plugged into it. And it, it dropped, and Darren looked. He said he saw waves uh, in the baptistry. He said, man, Pastor must really be shaking that baptistry. Uh, it was because bloop, it dropped in. And I, I didn't dive in. I would have if I needed to. But I reached in and grabbed it and shook it out. And I, I put it in some rice, dried it off. I dried the outside off. And today I looked at it and I thought, well, it's pretty good, but I'm going to take it apart. So I took all the screws out of the whole housing. I opened it up and took the, basically all the parts out. It was soaking wet inside. Now, the outside was dry. The inside was not dry. I've got it in a container up on a shelf a container full of rice. Uh, it's going to live there for maybe a month. Make sure we get all that moisture out of there. But it needed to be cleaned outside and inside. Now, God wants you and wants me not only to be clean on the outside. Now, God wants us to be clean on the outside. God wants you to live holy lives. God, God wants us to look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, act like a Christian. But God also wants your inside to be right. So, if we're going to receive this grace that God has, God wants us to clean up our life inwardly and outwardly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. How many of you have ever had to work around bitumen before? 
Uh, it's nasty stuff. It's stinky stuff. It's vile stuff. And uh, several years ago, a buddy of mine shot a bear, and that bear had rolled around in bitumen. I'm assuming it did so to protect itself from mosquitoes, maybe. Uh, I don't know why he did it, because it stinks. And I got it on me. I got it all over me. And I had no way to wash it off. And I was up north of Wandering River, and I stopped in Wandering River. It was actually Rebecca and I at the time. And uh, we, we both killed bears. Her, hers had bitumen on it. And we got there to a little, little exit there off the highway, Wandering River. And we went in. There was a gas station there with an A&W. And we went in to go in the washroom. And as we went in, people are just looking at us really weird. Weirder than they normally look at me, Mark. And I, man, all I cared about, I want to go in and wash this bitumen, this smell as best I can off of me. And I went in and I looked in the mirror and I'm coated in blood. I mean, just blood all over me, blood all down me. And I, I mean, I'm covered in blood and I smelled like bitumen. Uh, and Rebecca was <laughs> the same way. She said the ladies in the bathroom when she went in ran out scared to death. We, we were trying to wash it off and get it off, and we were in there a long time. I'm taking a bath in the sink. Don't ever use the sink in that. that it's probably ruined now. But I'm washing and scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing, and we got out in the car after we got some onion rings, and I said, you still stink. And then Rebecca may have said something like, yeah, you still stink too. Uh, we, we still had it on us. <laughs> we, just, we had a hard time getting it off. It, it, we, just had, we wanted it off so bad. But God wants you and wants me to get off of us the filth of sin, not only on the outside but also on the inside. Our wrong thoughts, our wrong motives, our wrong direction of our heart. We need to cleanse ourselves from the inward and outward as God wants us to. James 4, 8 says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to thee. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. Be double-minded. Our hands and our hearts. Christian, if we're to receive the grace God has, we need to let God cleanse our hands and our heart. By the way, God can do that. The Bible says 1 John 1 tells us if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us all our sin and cleanse us, cleanse us from all hands and heart, all unrighteousness. Number six, or number five, excuse me. Look at verse 11 and 12 tonight. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law, but if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Number five, stop pulling one another to pieces. Stop pulling one another to pieces. I, I touched on this quite heavily on Sunday morning when I preached on the other prodigal stayed home. But, but we want to pull and pluck. I mentioned, told the story of those chickens when a chicken gets a wound and they begin to peck at it. All the other chickens want to pull and peck. and We want to tear apart. 
that's not God's plan for you. God has no part, no part of his plan for you is for you to be a critic of your brother or sister in Christ. Zero. He's not looking for judges. He's he's well enough able, equipped to judge the world. He he doesn't need us to condemn. He's he's able to do that. He doesn't need your help, and, and let me tell you, he doesn't want your help. We, we need to stop pulling and picking at our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We need to stop thinking that we are the judge, that we're the one that has the right to judge one another. We become intolerant. We become unloving. We become hard, unbearable. We become critics and slanderers. We become those who destroy by our tongue. As we look in the passage that God gave to the church at Corinth to learn, to to be reminded of the pattern for the Lord's table and Lord's supper, it says in that passage where Paul gave the church at Corinth, by the way, a church that had it all messed up. Their carnality had destroyed so many things and, and they had messed up this matter of remembering the Lord and in that passage where that remembrance is of how it ought to be, it says that we're to judge ourselves. Now, we want to judge, but we want to judge everybody else. We're happy to judge as long as it's not ourselves. But God wants us to judge ourselves, not to condemn ourselves. God wants us to judge ourselves for the same reason you looked in a mirror tonight. If you did, some of you didn't, Darren. But others of you looked in a mirror and went, oh, I should probably comb my hair. By the way, I brushed my hair tonight. How many of you noticed? I, uh, well, I brushed more of this. But I, maybe you brushed your hair. Maybe some of you uh, may have put on some makeup. Uh, Brother Eric, did you put on any makeup tonight? Praise the Lord. Uh, I was hoping you said no. I thank you very much. Uh, maybe put on some makeup tonight. Maybe uh, maybe you got your tie straight. I probably didn't, but you looked in the mirror not to say, what a mess, but rather, oh, I better fix that. Christian God wants us to judge, not, oh, what a horrible person I am. God wants us to look in the mirror of the Word of God and go, you know what? I need to be more like Jesus Christ. I have an issue in this area of my life that I need to give to the Lord. Because when we redirect that energy away from picking and pulling at others and tearing people apart, and we put that energy into looking in the Word of God and asking God to help us, it's amazing. He gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. Look at verse 13 in our text. Go to now. Ye that say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such a city and continue a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Number six, live with eternity in view. Live with eternity in view. So often we keep our eyes down here when God wants us looking to eternity. God wants us focused, not on the now, but on the eternal. 
that focus of what's coming. As we leave eternity out of our reckoning, as we begin to plan around ourselves and not around God's timeline, we mess up. It says here, you know, I'm going to do this, we plan this, and God says, well, you ought not do that. It says, if the Lord, if, if the Lord allow, in other words, if it's in God's plan, if the Lord allows it in his eternal plan, this is what I plan to do. But we want to dovetail our life, our plans, everything we do dovetailed with eternity in view. Otherwise, we get everything out of whack. We mess everything up. God gives more grace. You know, we can, we can live moment by moment depending on the Lord. So, Pastor, does that mean I can't plan? I can't? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that as I plan and as I live, I need to live with the, the understanding that ultimately God's in control. Ultimately, I can't control what happens in my life. i got to trust Him. And number seven, lastly tonight, do what you know to be right. Do what you know to be right. The Bible tells us in verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, we know that if I disobey God's word, that's sin. The Bible says thou shalt not commit, shall not commit murder. Would you agree with that? The Bible says I shouldn't murder somebody. So if I, if I murder... Uh, our dear brother Vern tonight, his wife would get a life insurance policy. But anyway, he, I, if I murdered him, the Lord would not be pleased. Why? Because I would have sinned. I'm not supposed to do that. We, we, we joke. We, we know that sin. We know God says thou shalt not. I, I'm not supposed to lie. The Bible says thou shalt not lie. That's pretty, pretty plain. If I tell Eric a lie tonight, I'm sinning. I, I'm committing a sin. We understand the principle of sin. Transgressing God's law is sin. Crossing over the boundaries where God says, Thou shalt not, if I do, that sin. But God says here, not only is doing that which God says don't do a sin, God says, if I know something's good, and I don't do that good that I know is good, I've sinned. I need to walk in the good that God has shown me. Where do I learn that? Right here. As you read your Bible, as you study your Bible, God reveals good. Now, what do I do with it? I have a choice. As God lays good out before me and I see good, I can choose to walk and do that good, or I can choose to ignore it. But the problem is, God says, when I ignore that which is good, I've sinned. Just like when I murder, I sin. Just like when I lie, I sin. When I don't do that which is good. In other words, to, for God to give more grace, I need to do now what I already know to be right. I need to obey His will. He gives more grace. Turn to Hebrews chapter number 4. 
us back a little ways for the book of James there. God not only, not only calls us to live a life of victory, but he supplies the needed grace. We need to take what he gives, and the victory will be ours. How do we do that? We ask for it. We receive it. We keep asking. We keep receiving. We keep asking. We keep receiving. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Can I tell you tonight, there is enough grace. God gives grace. God gives us a pattern here of living in that blessed grace he gives us. And a lot of us, though, we live on the edge. We live on the edge looking to what we know we should do, to what we know is the will of God now. And we stall out either because we don't want to do what we know is right or we're so focused on what I should do later. Young people struggle with that. Teenagers come to a point, many of them in their, their life as teenagers, where they go, well, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on what I'm going to do someday when I'm 18, I'm 19, I'm 20. What's my life going to be about? And they're so focused on what they're going to do someday, they're not living for God now. They're, they're, not, they're not reading the Bible now. They're not faithful with their walk with the Lord now. They're not, they're not obedient uh, in, the other, in the aspects they know to be right now, but they're, they're so concerned about the future, but not just teenagers. A lot of times, some of us with not quite so many hairs on our head, or maybe they're turning white, we do the same thing. Because we get so focused on something in the distance that we miss what's right in front of us. Just do what you know to do that's good. Do the good that you already know. This little candle here, this battery-powered witchcraft, doesn't give a whole lot of light. But if I took this out in a very dark place and I walked somewhere where there was not the lights of the city, if I found somewhere out in the bush, maybe two hours north of here, and I took this little battery-powered candle inside of this lantern and I walked into the bush with no light except this, it would give me a little bit of light. I would see just a little ways in front of me. Now, I couldn't see very far. I couldn't see 100 feet. Certainly not. Probably couldn't even see 15 or 20 feet. But I could see the ground around the light. Now, as I come to the edge of the darkness, I'm given that little bit of light. Sometimes as Christians, we have that light of the Word of God. And we're so focused about the dark over there, we don't know it yet. 
Can I tell you how you find out the dark over there, how God illuminates that? By stepping in the light God's already given you. And God gives you a little more light. You can see a little farther, and I keep stepping, and every step I take, that illumination shows a little farther. And eventually, that area that I was so concerned about, way back there, I wanted to know, I've come to a place where I can see. But I have to take those steps. I have to take those steps in what I know to be good before ever I can get past that area. I can't skip over. I can't jump it. I need to do what I know to be good if I'm going to receive the goodness and the grace of God. Let's pray together. Lord, as we do tonight what we see in Hebrews chapter 4, Lord, as we come boldly to the throne of grace this evening, Lord, we come tonight asking. You told us to ask. And Lord, we're asking boldly without any question. Believing and knowing you're able, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace. We know you're able to. Lord, you've given us a pattern tonight in the book of James to walk in that grace. Lord, would you help us? Help us to grow. Help us to be humbled. Help us to place ourselves in your hands. Help us to be yielded. Lord, help us as we face the devil. Lord, help us as we are tempted to judge and tear others apart. God, help us just to do what we know is good now, to take those steps and trust you for that grace. Lord, bless us now. Thank you for the time we could gather this evening. Lord, bless the dear folks here tonight. Lord, be with those many that are not able to be here. Lord, may you be glorified. May your name be uplifted in all the earth. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. May dismiss this evening.